0: We are uh, continuing this morning our look at the Holy Spirit, and it's a a study that we began uh, about three weeks ago and talked about these topics. Uh, First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? And we found out the Holy Spirit is really God. And that that God, although we believe that there is one God, that that, that God has three separate personalities or three separate entities or however you want to look at that, and that uh, one of those personalities that we need to recognize is that God is the Holy Spirit. And then we found out that the Holy Spirit is received upon baptism when someone wants to be a child of God and is obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ then they are given that gift, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand that that is a huge difference, a huge shift from where the children of Israel were. Because remember that God dwelt with Israel either at, in the tabernacle or in the temple. Meaning that, uh, that the people surrounded Him and that God was in this tent and He was actually in a tent within a tent. And the high priest could only go in the presence of God one time a year to offer up sin, uh, atonement for the sins of the people. And it was called the Day of Atonement. That was the only true person-to-person access that people, even in, even the, cho- the chosen people, had with God. We find out in the New Testament things shift. That God actually dwells with me. He dwells with you as His children. And then last week we talked about the gift of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those things that are miraculous have have you have served their purpose and then have passed away and we still have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's still very much uh, the way that we are marked as a child of God, but that in terms of miraculous gifts, it just doesn't work the way that it did. Today we're going to look at the sins against the Holy Spirit. I believe this is this is where it really become comes home to you and I is to okay, if the, if all of this is true, then what do we need to be aware of and how how should we frame our lives given this information? So we're gonna start with one that's the hardest one. And one that if you had told me about a month ago I was going to be preaching on, I'd no, I'm gonna preach on that. Because this is by by it's a very confusing or can be a very confusing topic, and I'm certainly not going to suggest that the things I'm going to present this morning are absolutely beyond uh, questioning because uh, I I think there's some room to consider this. But at least as I understand it, I'm going to share what little I know about this sin against the Holy Spirit. You see this guy uh, holding his head. Because you know, there are a lot of people that their Christian walk has been greatly marred by the fact that they believe that they may have at some point committed this sin. And think about that. If you think that you may have committed this sin, and it's unforgivable no matter what you do the rest of your life, it can't be forgiven. What's the point, right? You can't be saved. You're lost. And so I think it's important to get a good understanding of that, and hopefully we'll bring some comfort if there are any out here this morning that have thought maybe they've committed that sin. I think we can bring some comfort this morning and recognize that that is probably not the case. Uh, so first of all, it's mentioned as blasphemy. So first of all, what is blasphemy? Well, Thayer defines it as a slander or a detraction uh, speech that is injurious to another person's name, especially a deity, a god, or a, our God. Uh, it's that's that slander. So it's to speak against. So I want you to remember that this is something that you say, something that you would speak for or against that would put you. In this situation. And so I want you to notice initially that this is not, this is limited. It's not just a blasphemy, but it's a specific blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's limited to that. Paul even said this about himself that he blasphemed Christ. He said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in unbelief. So Paul, we know that later in Paul's life, he said that there was a reward waiting for him. And so he was confident in his salvation but yet he admits here that he had blasphemed Jesus Christ. He denied Him. So let's look, why did Jesus, as we look in Matthew chapter 12, which is one of the places that this is is, uh, taught, uh, why did Jesus teach it here? And you know, if you think about some of the things that Jesus taught, Some of them were things that you might say, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, that he had a planned idea of things he wanted to share concerning his kingdom, and he went up to a mountain and the people sat below him to begin to teach. And it had nothing to do with what the people were doing in the moment. But we find that the passage here, the teaching here, is specifically directed at some behavior that was going on around him. We might say it was a teachable moment, that something had gone on that had caused Jesus to think about and to address this subject. So let's look at the passage in Matthew chapter 12. He uh, says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitude were amazed and said, Could this be the Son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by the Elzebub, the ruler of demons. So again, Jesus is using this as a teachable moment. And he's saying to these Pharisees, or he's saying to the people around, that these Pharisees notice that the Pharisees are not questioning the miracle. You know, probably a lot of the people that saw this miracle, they knew this guy. They had known him for years and years and years and years. And now all of a sudden he appears before them and he's no longer blind and he's no longer mute. Can you imagine what that would be like? Think about a person that's been in a wheelchair for a number of years, and it's it's supposedly that they'll never get out. You know, that's just the destiny. And how would we feel if they walk in this room today and we ask them, how did you do that? Did the doctors heal you? No, I had a man that healed me. Or perhaps even better, we actually saw that event and he was able to get up and walk. And so that was the situation. See, the Pharisees couldn't deny the reality. It did happen. What they tried to do then, since they couldn't deny that is they tried to deny its source. They tried to say, well, he didn't do it by God, but he did it by the power of Satan. And that provoked Jesus' teaching on the subject of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on, he says, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, that's exactly right. What was the purpose of these miracles? The purpose of these miracles, although I'm sure it was great for the person that was healed, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to confirm that that man was Jesus Christ. And you could believe his testimony. That, that he wasn't a, that he wasn't a, a false prophet or, or some kind of charlatan or some kind of magician that was trying to pull a wool over their eyes. He was the real thing. He would, it, it made him authentic. The people could believe what he had to teach. And so that's what he says. He says, if I do it by demons, by his, if, if I do it by Satan, then, then Satan's divided against himself. In other words, what sense does that make? That Satan would cast himself out. Really? That doesn't make any sense. So he says that if, if I do it by the Spirit of God, then surely this is the kingdom that you've heard about and heard prophesied about all this time. Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy which uh, will be forgiven men, So you can, a blasphemy can be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So, pretty serious. Well, so let's look real quickly at the events. We see that Jesus performed these miracles. We see the people were amazed. And they, because they were amazed, they think, is this a Sunday? Is, is this is this possibly the Christ?" Pharisees didn't deny the miracle, only the source of the miracle. Jesus explained that a house divided against itself will not stand, and that if you're not with Him, you're against Him. And then finally He says that this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would not be forgiven. Well, why is this sin in such a unique category? Why is it so much worse than anything else? Well, it's the equivalent of calling good evil. It's taking something that was good and saying that that very thing is is evil. That's the first thing you notice. The second thing is, remember we said that the miracles were true? That He was the Messiah? If you undermine the miracles then the proof is gone. The the very foundation of faith really begins to crumble at that point. If he wasn't able to do these things under God's power, but he was only able to do them under the power of Satan, then the whole idea that he was the promised Savior is is really uh, a moot point. And then it's equivalent to calling the Holy Spirit, which, remember, is God, a devil. So then we might ask the question, can we commit this sin today? You would have to see them, as I understand it, you would have to see the miracle performed. You would have to accept that the miracle had been performed. It's real. But then you would have to say that it didn't happen by the power of God, but only it happened by the power of Satan. As I understand it, that would be the only way a person commit the, could commit the sin today. I guess in the alternative, as close as you could get, as you could get the Scriptures, you could read this account and you could get out, oh, I believe... You could say this to yourself or to somebody else. I believe that Jesus came. I believe He was a man. I believe He did the miracles. I believe everything is there, but I believe He did it by Satan. I guess that might be. But other than that, I can't imagine how a Christian could possibly commit this sin. So I think it's it's in a category by itself, but it's one that, that people need not worry about in this day and age. Because as I understand it, we have not and cannot commit that sin. Um, so let's go on to the next one. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Well, this is another one that, again, you're not going to see today. But remember, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira. The church was young. The, uh, the apostles were setting up the church according to the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit that was working directly with them. Uh, at this time, the people were selling off their goods and they were giving the money to the, to, the, to the apostles and the apostles were taking care of everybody and they really had all things in common as they began to build this faith from ground zero to make it into something that is today. Well, during this time, Ananias, and so with Sapphira knowing about it, went and he sold some land. And he came back and instead of giving all the money, he only gave a portion of it. But he represented it as if it was all of it. And so uh, we find this account that Peter then says to him, Ananias, why is Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? Meaning that he had no obligation to sell it. And then even after he sells it, he had no obligation to give he said, after it was sold, was it not in your own control? He said, But why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to man, but you lied to God. And remember that, that God struck him down dead right there on his spot. We know that this was also for a purpose. Again, this is God's miraculous hand working with people. We probably recognize when we think about it this morning, that you and I can fool each other. We can lie to each other. We, could, we, could, uh, we can fool each other. But we can't fool God. And we recognize that. And so then, again, I think this is another sin that you're going to see that is not really committable uh, today. But let's look. The next four, uh, next four that we have, or five that we have, And I want you to really look at these because I put those two first because although they're interesting I think it's important for us to understand, I think this is the crux of the message, is these are the things that we have to watch about every day. Uh, This has to do with insulting or the King James translates it despising the Holy Spirit. And in Hebrews it says if we go on sinning after we've learned the truth... No sacrifice can take away our sins. All that is left is a terrifying wait for judgment and a raging fire that will consume God's enemies. If two or three witnesses accuse someone of rejecting Moses' teaching, that person was shown no mercy and he was executed. What do you think a person who shows no respect for the Son of God deserves? uh, That person looks... Let me go back up here because I can hardly read it. Um, that person, that person looks at the blood of the promise, the blood that made him holy, is no different from other people's blood, and he insults the Spirit of God that gave us out of His kindness. He deserves a much worse punishment. Now, this is in God. This is God's word translation, and I used it because I think it makes it pretty simple to understand. The King James again. The word that's used is despised but you can think about this as he's saying that you have someone who accepts Jesus as their Savior, but they don't change their life. There's no difference. They haven't, they haven't begun to try to follow Christ. They haven't, they haven't really obeyed And All they've done is obeyed the, the initial Gospel, but there's no transformation in their life. That's like a person that makes a contract to do something and then turns back on that contract and doesn't follow through with what they promised to do. And so, Paul writing her, whoever wrote the Hebrew letter, is saying uh, that that person is like insulting the Holy Spirit that rests within them. So when we don't do what we're supposed to do and follow through with uh, following the Gospel, then that's what happens. The next example we find is... Uh, to quench the Holy Spirit. And this passage is really, there's really no context. You know, like the previous passage we looked at, there was a specific context, and that's the person that uh, they, were, they weren't following Christ. They weren't, trying, they weren't following what they were supposed to do. This, this example is a little different. In this example, we see that there is no context. He just, in a list of things, he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And by quench, it means to extinguish or to let this fire go out. If you think about the Holy Spirit as a fire that works within you, then it is um, that—that's what you have. Is you have someone who has ignored that indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then let that fire go out. And, you know, that's something. That's a real danger to Christians, isn't it? That as we go through our daily walk, we can get careless. We can get get to where we forget about it and we look around and it's just like a fire in a fireplace that at once it might have been blazing and might have really been warming the room. But if we ignore it long enough, it'll go out and it will do us no good. And so it is of the Holy Spirit. We know that the things that we ignore, we lose. Think about the gifts that you have now, the skills that you have. Well, if you don't continue to practice and work on those skills, what's going to happen? They're going to begin to atrophy. You're going to lose the things that you have. And I believe that's what he's teaching here: is Don't let that fire go out. Don't extinguish it. Uh, we know we're supposed to use the gifts that we have for God's glory. The next one is to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we find this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, again, there's no context specifically for this one, but to grieve means to, work, to make uh, heavy sorrow, and sadness. And I want you to, to understand this when I want you to think about uh, if there were a person that you begged to come live with you. You said, please, please just come live with me. I'll take care of some needs that you've got. It'll be great. It'll be great. Well, it seems you're you're excited when they come in, but when they when it's after uh, after a period of time, guess what? You Begin to ignore that person. You begin to, to not take care of their needs, and and they came to you understanding that that you were gonna you were gonna be a you were gonna be hospitable to them. And after a period of time, you didn't do that. So I believe that's what he's talking about here. Is it's a heavy sadness. It's a grief that the Holy Spirit feels, if that's that's the correct term, uh, because of uh, because of neglect. And then finally, or then next, we will look at defiling the home of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He says, "Do not." Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, uh, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? you, you are. So, this is one against the body. Remember, the, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? It dwells within our body. And so, if you think about if we defile this temple... Um, it's he uses that, that metaphor of comparing it to the old temple, and that you know, think about a person that came in and they tried to destroy the old temple. Well, that person would be perceived as being uh, a pagan, a, a heathen. They would be uh, they would be punished by death, I'm sure. And so he's trying to make that analogy and says that now. God doesn't live in some building. He lives in you. And so you need to live in a way you need to, you need to handle your body morally and ethically in a way that it's a, it's a temple where He can rest, where He can be. You know, a person that, that doesn't, doesn't do that is, is making it where the Holy Spirit can't abide with you anymore. And, and certainly we wouldn't want to have that. And then finally, I believe this one is the one that we probably have the most battle with. And that is to resist or to oppose the Holy Spirit. I believe this is the one that's the daily battle. That when you get up in the morning and you think about what you want, and then you maybe have a thought or two about what God might need you to do that day or wants you to do that day, then that's the struggle that we fight every day as Christians. And understand that the Holy Spirit... who is through the Word encouraging you to do things of a godly nature, and when you resist or oppose that, then that's very much against the way we need to go. We see that in Acts uh, Stephen said this uh, as he rebuked the Jews after they had crucified Christ. He says, "...you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels." And have not kept the rejection of the Holy Spirit because of their own stubbornness, because of their inability to submit their will to the will of God. And again, I would submit that that's the one that's probably the hardest for us on a basis is to turn our will over to His will and not think about so much what we want or what we need, but what others need. What kind of things am I talking about? You get up and you think about. Who who else is in need today? Who of my brothers and sisters do I need to check on? Or um, is there some time in my day to spend in the Word? Because I know that if I ignore it, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to get away from it. And finally, I want to go back to the analogy of the, the tabernacle or the temple and remember that God's presence was right there above that Ark of the Covenant. That's where His glory was found. Remember, the high priest could only go in one time. Children of Israel had a battle a long time ago with the Philistines. And they lost that battle. And there were 4,000 of the children of Israel that were killed in that battle. So as they went back to their camps and they began to think about the battle and what they could do about it, they began to... uh, you know, scratch their head and think about what's going on. Why did lose that battle, and how did lose these four thousand men? Somebody had a great idea. Let's go get the ark, and let's bring it up here to battle. And we'll take the ark in the battle with us, and they'll see our God, and they'll be afraid and run away. Now remember what did God's rule say? God's law said that only one time a year, the high priest enters the presence. That's it. And so, this great idea of let's go get the ark and bring God up to fight our battle for Uh, us—it was probably it was probably a uh, a sincere idea. It's probably serious, but it was wrong-headed. It was—it's obvious from this that that people got pretty far away from God's word. That they'd forgotten that they weren't supposed to do that. And so, they committed this this uh, this sin. And we find that, uh, again, this is the statement, let us bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, uh, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. I appreciate the fact that they had confidence in God and salvation through God. But they went to the second battle, and as you probably know, they lost the battle. The Ark was lost. They, the Philistines captured the Ark. And I think that that's a pretty good analogy for us. You know, that if if we continually, if we repeatedly are reckless with God's words, if we don't, if we're not careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit because we're not living there, or we resist, we oppose, and and we try to do our own thing, and we oppose His will upon us, and we read about the Word and we think, you know, then... That's kind of like that, that recklessness. And pretty soon, we may get to a point where the Holy Spirit can no longer abide with us. Remember the importance of that. That that's our seal. That the day of judgment to have the Holy Spirit with you is the seal, the authentication, often, how do you say that? <laughs> that you're going to be saved. And so the Holy Spirit dwelling within you is critical. And we want to be a host that the Holy Spirit will stay within. And so I, I submit this study to you this morning. I hope uh, that it's been something that's been of interest to you. I hope that any fears that you might have about uh, blasting the Holy Spirit have been uh, put to rest. And that's probably not something that can happen today. But uh, we do want to take these other things seriously. And if we can help you in any way, we're going to offer a psalm of invitation for any that might need the prayers of the church.